I've had no training, but I think it's on. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts of grace that we receive today in word and sacrament. We thank you for the confession of faith that Andrew and Emily uh, made publicly before us in our, in, our, in our assembly. We thank God that the Holy Spirit has brought their, the word and salvation into their hearts and that they have joined the fellowship that is here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Help us to love them and support them as you give us opportunity. And as we are studying your word this day, uh, grant us peace in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to hear the examples of faith and follow because the faith is one. The faith that was given to the patriarchs and to the apostles is the very same faith you give unto us that saves us in Jesus Christ our Lord. May we rejoice in being of their company and being children of your grace. In Jesus' blessed name we pray, amen. So Hebrews chapter 11 is sort of one of these chapters in the New Testament that is a, a hall of fame of faith. And so we have been all about faith in the last weeks. Um, if you have the handout that has been used the last two, three, or four weeks, it says Hebrews 11, the description of faith on the top. And um, again, just by definition and going back to main principles, the writer to the Hebrews set a strong theme for the chapter in uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. And so if they are things not seen and our eyes are not the organ by which they are brought in, then what is the organ of faith? What, what, is the, uh, what brings to us the substance of things that are hoped for? Through hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we talk for a minute about the word of God, are we referring to the ink on the page in our Bibles? You got to remember, Basley's asking the question, so they're always a little bit tricky. Can you rely on the ink on the pages of your Bible as being the truth and being from God? Okay, so uh, although we have already set you up to answer no by saying the ears, our eyes take in scripture, don't they? We read them, but is that the word of God and can that create faith? Yes, of course, the word of God, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto all who believe. And when we think about words, um, what must be in human words... Breath. Breath. Some of you have caught on to my madness over the years. Right. In order for words to be transmitted, they have to have breath. And some of you scriptural scholars will remember that the word for breath in both Greek and Hebrew are also translated spirit. Ruach. Ruach in the Hebrew and pneuma in the Greek. But they are both breath and spirit. And so Jesus says, my word is is spirit and it is life, which means his words are invested with the Holy Spirit because according to John 5, he's been given the spirit without measure and he is anointed into his office by the Holy Spirit lighting upon him. 
And he has promised, my word is spirit and it is life. And so we who would be dead in the spirit, in other words, our spirits turned away from the source of life, the great spirit of God, and that's our state under sin, turned away from God, being in darkness and without life, separated from God, are brought to life by Jesus and his words. But not only his words, because these words, which God gave us, became incarnate. And so the scripture word is not to be separated from the incarnate word, the word that became flesh in Jesus Christ. And John says at the end of his gospel that not everything that Jesus did is written in his account and that if everything were written, it would be enough books to fill all the world. But what did he say? But these things are written for a purpose so that you would believe and believing in him have eternal life. So we don't have every word of God in scripture, but in scripture and in the accounts that are given of Christ, we, get, we are given the Holy Spirit and sufficient word and revelation of God to save us. And that's the purpose. But in Christ, every word of God is incarnate, which means we never have enough to study. We've never studied the Bible enough to say that I know it all. Even after 50 or 100 years, there's always more to discover because it is the word of the living God. And a living word is a living word that corresponds to every aspect of our life as we live. And so it must be all embracing. But if we get lost and can't find it in here, we have it all in Christ. We have it all when we have Christ. Whether we know it all or not, in Christ, we have it all. So having a relationship with Christ is like having a relationship with other people. There's always more to discover about them. And if we say, I'm fed up learning about this person, uh, you're ending up severing a relationship. That's what happens when marriages decide to separate. I've, I'm fed up with you. I've had enough. But when we say, I'm fed up with Jesus, that great divorce is a tragic thing. Because then we lose, we lose God. So um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word is scripture. The word is Christ incorporated. Is, is there any place else that we find that word? So the Bible in Jesus... Where else do we look for that word? In the sacraments? At the Holy baptism at the, at, the, at the communion rail? How about in each other? Do we seek the word of God in each other? Yeah, it's called the mutual, in our confessions, it's called it's the, the mutual conversation of the brethren. We talked in chapter 10 in Hebrews about meeting together and not, not forsaking the assembly. And can any of you remember the reason why we do that? If you, if you got your Bibles open, you could turn back and scan quick and say, it's got to be in there somewhere. Verse 25. I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so we find the word of God in each other, and the encouragement that they give, we give to one another in the word of God. 
And that says as Christians, we should be sharing the word of God with each other. If you see a brother straying, it's the word of God that brings them back. So it's not an ill-placed word if we as Christians remind each other of our need and our devotion and our love for the Savior. The example that's always used by our church fathers is, is coals in a fire, right? This is the example that's used on a house call. You can't do it with propane gas places anymore. But, uh, but maybe with the grill, where you have the coals all together and glowing, and then you take one of the coals and put it aside from the rest of the coals, and while they keep each other going from the warmth that is in each of them, the one that is isolated is put out. Why? Because they don't receive the warmth and the support from the other coals. And it's the same in the body of Christ. Each of us is given the gospel and particular gifts of the Holy Spirit. And not ever, not, none of us has all the gifts, which means someone else has a gift in the congregation that you need. They need to nurture and to support you. And on the other hand, you have gifts that someone else in the congregation doesn't have, and they need you to minister to them with the gifts that you're given. And so just as the body of Christ is connected together. Now, um, as we are looking at this chapter in faith, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. What are the things hoped for? And what are the evidence, what are the things unseen? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do Christians hope for? Eternal life, resurrection, new heaven and new earth. Well, we have. Are we going to need forgiveness of sins? We might say outgrowing the need for forgiveness of sins. They've been talking about holiness. May, may I sort of uh, redirect your thoughts a little bit? And all that you're saying naturally comes to the mind of believers because we live in a world that's not perfect and offers us challenges. And part of that is wishing we were free of those challenges and thinking of, of, of how we are going to be free of them. But all of those things are secondary to something else. What does the Christian hope for? Christ. We hope for Christ and his return. And when Christ returns, then all of these things will be ours. Are they ours now? How? By faith. And, and as we're doing this, as we're saying what, why it's important with faith, and it so, fits so well with this morning's account of the, of the Syrophoenician, the Canadian, Canadian the, the woman from up north, right? <laughs> That, that, that her, she had a great faith. But why was her faith great? Was it because of its persistence? Was it because of its strength? Or was it because of what her faith was clinging to? Namely the Savior. And, and that's what Pastor Walworth has, has been trying to bring us to in that. Faith is great not in and of itself. But because it clings to the great gift that God gives us in Jesus Christ. 
and, and again, we, we need to be focused because the devil wants us to be unfocused. If we can take our focus after the, out of the main thing, which is Christ, onto a secondary thing, the secondary thing forgetting the primary thing becomes the primary thing. And when the secondary thing becomes primary, it becomes an idol and a spiritual danger. So good works are important. We talked in Thessalonians today about St. Paul exhorting us unto sanctification and good works. But why? Who works those good works in us? Jesus. Jesus does them. Which is why when a Christian is complimented for his good works, he doesn't say, oh yes, I'm a good little boy and stick in his thumb and pull out a plum and say, what a good boy am I? But he gives praise to Jesus. Don't thank me, thank Jesus. I wouldn't be doing this without Jesus. And so uh, it's very common uh, to talk about in Christian circles the power of prayer. Oh, I prayed for you and you got better. Is it the power of prayer that makes, thing, that, that makes people better when they're healed? Is it the power of prayer that heals the people? Who are you praying to? And who, who heals? God, it's not prayer that heals. It's the one who is being prayed to. And if we say the power of prayer, who are we leaving out? But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, doesn't he, when we pray? When we don't know how to pray. So we always know how to pray through the Lord's Prayer, but sometimes it's said if we don't always pray to Christ. Yeah, yeah, but that's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is that we... Uh, so, well, maybe I'm missing your point. What, what is your point? Well, I always thought, like when I pray, I'm still praying, but am I praying selfishly? Am I praying wrong? I know I have to say the Lord's Prayer, but then when I pray for things that I wish for things to be better in my life, I think better for a Christian. I might be selfish, you know what I mean? So that I know it's God's will and the Holy Spirit will intercede for me. I don't know exactly how he does Yeah, but you, you see, you know, you're absolutely, those are wonderful things to be thinking about prayer, and you're absolutely right. The, the thing you're bringing out is, are there things that we can pray for unconditionally? In other words, can we say to God, I want this, if it be thy, thy will? Are there things that we actually shouldn't pray for? I want this, if it be thy will. Yes, are there things that we can pray wrongly in that way? Yeah, if we say, forgive me my sins if it be thy will. If you pray that to God, it means you don't know the gospel. And you're not praying in faith, because this we know. But whether he wants us to have that Harley Davidson or not, we had we had good people. Well, he gave you the triumph, though. The triumph is in Christ, not in my garage. But... That might be his means of bringing me to the triumph. So, yes. Yeah, I'm struck by what you're saying in the sense that that which is central to everything is the Word of God. And that which helps us understand the Word of God are pathways and, and tools like the sacraments, like the preaching of our, of our pastor, like fellowship, and things of this sort amongst us. We don't generate it, God generates it through the Word, and it's that Word in us, which through faith. Another of those pathways, we have 
So, so when, the, when, the, when Jesus' body and blood that redeemed us is preached in the sermon, and it better be in every one of the sermons, and it's given to us every time we receive the Lord's Supper, we can say the preaching saved me today and, gave, and, 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 and the sacrament forgave and strengthened my faith. But when we do that, we should always keep in mind who's doing that in those things. Jesus is in the Word. It's not just about his body and blood that's being preached to us and given into us. It's his actual body and blood that is being given to us as the real price that is paid and the gift from God. We are not metaphorically receiving Jesus. We are actually receiving him because the word became flesh and the word cannot be separated with the, from the flesh. So when the word is received, the flesh is received. And this is given testimony uh, also in the sacrament in the word and in the sacrament, same body and blood of Christ. But let's not leave it out to our peril because then something takes on a life of its own. And in this first verse of, I'll get there, in, in this first verse of chapter 11, when it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, we should understand that this faith is filled with what? It's Jesus. That faith is actually filled with the substance of what is preached to us, Jesus and his word. And it's the evidence because when we confess it, it's Jesus and his word that is coming out of our mouth to whomever we are speaking. And so faith is like your wallet. Your wallet is virtually worthless compared to what it contains. But hidden in your wallet is your wealth that you are carrying around. And faith is the same thing. It means nothing in and by itself, but it is precious because of what it contains. And can you see what it contains? No, but you can hear what it contains when the Christian confesses Jesus. And when in, in the rest of this chapter of Hebrews 11, when that word that is given to the believer becomes incarnate in him, that the, that the believer speaks and hears and looks and walks and talks from out of that word, then the image of God is being restored in the believer. So again, the things added to God are important because he adds them. God, God connects his word with the water and baptism. He connects his word to the preaching of his word. He connects his word to the sacrament. But that's so that he can find us in those words and we can find him in those words and in the sacrament. And we are people of faith that saves us, not because faith in and of itself is anything, but that which clings, clings to God. And if it clings to God, it is indeed precious to us. But if it is placed in something else, it's worthless. That's what an idol is, placing faith in something else. Um, I'm sorry, I've, did you hang on to it? Or, yeah, I think I did. I didn't make you forget I, it. But. Maybe you answered what I was trying to hang on to it, so I'm not sure. But I'm stuck on the power thing still, uh, or faster, sorry. I'm yes, my son. <laughs> and I go to both, so I'm sorry. But anyhow, the power, our faith comes from the Holy Spirit, right? So, and when we pray, like we hear the word of God and we, 
and we go to pray. But we're driven by the Holy Spirit to pray. But of myself, I wouldn't pray. You know what I mean? So I always think of the power comes from God. Maybe I'm wrong to think that way. So I don't think you've said anything that is not in keeping with what I have been saying. That's right. Every, everything that we do is a result of the spirit that dwells in us. Right? I mean, and again, this is, this is the narcissism of man. He thinks the, that he's the be-all and end-all of all things and that it all depends on him. No, when a person sins, it's because an evil spirit is, is having its influence on him. Um, the devil is described in Ephesians as the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. So when our disobedient flesh acts, there's a spiritual power behind it, and it's the devil and the spirit of rebellion. And when we pray in Jesus' name, and because we are children of God, we didn't work that in ourselves. You're exactly right. But God did that in us. He made us new creations in Jesus Christ. And he gave us his spirit so that our spirit can act in accordance with the Holy Spirit. But see, we're, see we always want to think it's up to us, and it's not. Um, we, we did that in John the Steadfast yesterday where, where Luther, right, Tony's going to chime in, where, where, where uh, uh, Luther talks about us that we're, we're a horse and we're re either ridden by the devil or by God. And when we're rebellious, the devil's riding us. And when, when we're obedient, God is. So God gets all the credit for our salvation. And when we throw God away and side in with the devil, who's responsible for our damnation? We ourselves. The devil made me do it. No, Flip Wilson. You're responsible. Okay. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I'll introduce to you the term synecdoch, which means something included. Um, Jesus says, this is the cup of my New Testament. And he's describing the cup. So is the cup in the Lord's Supper the New Testament or what it contains? It's what it contains. And that's where the synagogue is, where a part is named for the sake of the whole. Faith saves us as a synagogue because faith contains Jesus. And it's Jesus who saves by virtue of our faith holding it. But when we use these synagogues, um, preaching saves me. Why? Because Jesus is in the preaching. When we use the synagogue, don't let the figure of speech Divert your heart and faith from the main thing, which is Jesus. And, and again, Pastor Walworth and I have been sort of uh, ad infinitum the last couple weeks about this. But do you understand why it's important? As St. As Paul is speaking in the book of Hebrews, who's he talking to? Do you remember? Why is he talking about a better temple? Why is he talking about a better high priesthood? Why is he talking about a better sacrifice? Yeah. Something to do with the name of the, of the book. Yeah. <laughs> and who are the Hebrews? Jews. Yeah, they are people who are Christians who are thinking of going back to Judaism. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying, why would you want to go back to the shadows when we have the substance? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is the tendency, right? to go back to what, we've, what we're familiar with because we forget why we are doing things. 
And in Christianity, we forget what we're doing when we forget about Christ. It's, <laughs> it happens even today. All right. So any, any, any questions about that big porch before we get to the house? And uh, again, the reason one of my ulterior motives is doing a little bit of a review before this is because I don't have a handout for you and we've only got a short part of the chapter to go through. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe Pastor Walworth will have a new handout for you. Who knows? We might not finish it anyway. So let's start at verse 30 here. And again, we have been talking about the effects of faith. And what does this mean? We're talking about believers in the Old Testament who by the Spirit have believed the Word of God and the Word of God changed their life. Abraham left his homeland. Sarah had a baby even when her, her body was too old to have a baby. So from the tomb of her womb came a miraculous child. And how did that work? Because she believed that God was able to do the impossible. Why do we believe that bread and wine can be the body and blood of Christ? I can't turn my body into bread and wine to give you my body and blood in bread and wine. Why can Jesus do it? Because he's God. There's nothing he can't do. All right. So let's, uh, let's go ahead then start on verse 30. Um, let's read from the sheet that you have. I've got the old King James because I'm an old King James fan. Chapter 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, what does that mean? That the walls came tumbling down after they had paraded. Remember the story? Um, spies were sent into Jericho. And uh, when they went into Jericho, here's your double jeopardy question. Whom did they meet that uh, befriended them? Because, again, the people had heard of the Israelites coming into the Holy Land and were afraid of this million people coming in and perhaps marauding the land. And so they put up their defenses against them. And so they feared the children of Israel as they were coming in. And uh, when the spies went into Jericho, whom did they meet that befriended them? Rahab. Our table says Nahum. Nahum. Rahab. And what was her profession? Profession. She was a lady of the night. Yeah, Jesus befriended the harlots. And, and, and why are harlots and tax collectors, uh, why, why did they welcome Jesus in so much? Or, or the message of the gospel? Why did they welcome him so much? Because they have no pretense of being holy at all. The society and their own consciences tell them that they are lost. There's nothing they can do to redeem themselves. And so when the Redeemer comes, they are happy to find him. Rahab is a harlot and is happy to find the children of God coming into her midst. And he, sh he sheltered them. And remember what Rahab did in order to save them when they came looking for the spies. Yeah, they lowered him down. She had her dwelling place on the wall of the city, and she lowered down a red cord. And uh, the, the spies 
uh, uh, climbed down the cord and were saved. And they made her a promise before they left. What was it? Yeah, the Lord's going to destroy this place, but you and your family will be saved. Now, uh, Jericho has been found. And uh, in, the, in the early 20th century, it was like in the 19-teens, a German team came down and identified a dig as being Jericho. And uh, others came and dated it and said that it couldn't be. But there's this dating problem. Um, some of you guys had that with me in high school, but... But the, remember that first um, uh, Patterns of Evidence movie, there's a dating problem about how you date Israel. And, and this problem comes into the, the discovery. But if you read the original archaeology and what they found in the 1950s and 60s when they changed their mind, there's one section of the wall that didn't fall. Mm -hmm. All the rest of the wall is down except for this one. It just matches perfectly. But let's look at what he says um, in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Is that true? Was it the power of faith that knocked the walls down? No. <laughs> it's a synagogue. It's God who commanded them to march around the walls. Who commanded them to blow the trumpets? And who knocked the walls down? And whom did they believe in faith and therefore carry out this bizarre war maneuver? Wouldn't it be great if today God chose an army of a few people to march around Ukraine or some other troubled part of the, the world and the walls would come tumbling down? The, the devil's version of this is cyber warfare, I think, because they do it by words, computer words. That's, that's the de demonic caricature of it. So again, they believed and they did this bizarre thing. Who, who, could, who could say that marching around the city for seven days would make walls fall down? That's impossible, and it's foolishness to reason. But faith puts reason aside and says God commanded it, and God can do it, and therefore it will be done. 